It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, you tuned in for another fantastic edition of Diz Radio and the Diz Radio Show. And this week for show number 220, we have all kinds of fun lined up because, yes, spring is in the air. April showers are bringing those May flowers, and with that comes getting ready for summer. You're kicking yourself back into shape. And with us here this week to celebrate all those fun things is none other than Mike Olasky, who's going to be stopping in here this week. Yes, Mike Olasky, who you may know from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Power Rangers Zeo, as well as Three Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. He's going to be stopping in, chatting with all of you what it was like playing the Young Red Ranger in the Power Rangers series, as well as working with such greats like Jim Varney, Hulk Hogan, and many others, and being part of the Three Ninjas franchise. He's going to talk about martial arts, getting fit, being part of these movies, his childhood, and so much more. In addition, no show would be complete without the D-Team, and the D-Team is a little scarce here this week. I think people are still hanging out on spring break, but you have the questions, he has the answers, and Aaron is going to answer all your questions, and I want to know. We also have Dominic on a perfect streak still. Dominic has never missed a show here at Diz Radio, and he's going to give you those tips and tricks to help you make the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation when you're short on time and short on money in the short leash. And we have Jeremy back with a walk in this week in Disney history. We have all kinds of fun, and of course, I just got back from many conventions, many trade shows, and many other things, many of which I have so many interviews and people that I came across, I haven't even aired them here on the show, so you know what? You love Carl Barks. You love Scrooge McDuck. You love Donald Duck. I'm going to have none other than Anthony Snyder stopping in here, a comic book collector, owner, and historian. And I'm going to take you back to that trade show time when I was walking the trade show floor just a few weeks ago talking with Anthony Snyder. We have all kinds of news hot off the D-Wire from Walt Disney World, Star Wars, Galaxy's Edge, Endgame, Disney Channel, so many things. So before we jump into this week's show, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Castles and Dreams Travel. At Castles and Dreams Travel, they're going to hold your hand, walk you through the process, treat you like family, and help you make the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation. Whether it's dining reservations, getting those tickets, those reservations, they are going to help you out and treat you like family. They're going to make it seamless, make it easy, and definitely make it memorable for you. So definitely check them out. Castles and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So all of you D-heads, with that said, it is time to get ready to close out April. The end game is here. Yes, Avengers Endgame kicks off this weekend. We have so much fun, so many things in the wings. So let's officially kick off show number 220. Disney 
are back. Let's rock! Teamed with the ultimate ally, Hulk Hogan. Teamwork! They're power-packed partners, pumping with pure energy. Want a piece of me? Come and get it. Lonnie Anderson, Jim Barney, Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. Let's have some fun.
Hi, this is Tom Kane, the voice of a bunch of rides in the park, where you hear, A Jedi Master, Yoda, a calamari admiral, warning you that it's a trap! And of course, an occasional droid, oh dear! And you're listening to Diz Radio, helping you relive the magic and the memories. I can't believe it. It's Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, I hope you enjoy the official kickoff for show number 220. As we're gearing up to kick, to block, to fight the bad guys, as we have none other than Michael Lasky stopping in here. Yes, from Power Rangers, Power Rangers Zeo, as well as Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, and many other things. We have the D-team stopping in with Aaron, Dominic, and Jeremy, and all kinds of fun, including a very special interview about Carl Barks, Donald Duck, and so much more with Anthony Snyder. There's lots of fun things on the horizon, and I hope you enjoy the official kickoff for this week's show. Now, before we jump into that news hot off the D-wire and all the fun things going on here this week, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. Yes, first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at dizradio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on the official website at dizradio.com. That's D-I-Z radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash dizradioshow. That's D-I-Z radio, S-H-O-W. You can also join our D-Wire Disney discussion group on Facebook as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney On Demand. Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, quirky, different kind of Disney show. Lots of fun things going on, lots of great things. I am excited to be back here again once this week. So remember, connect up with us, all the different outlets. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, many other places. I'm not going to bore you because you know what? I'll say it again at the end of the show once more, or you can always find it on our official website at DizRadio.com. So, all of you D-heads, with that said, let's jump into the news hot off the D-wire. And, of course, first and foremost, Avengers Endgame. Yes, we all know Avengers Endgame came out this week. Very different from the comic books. A lot of great features. I, myself, am a comic book nerd. And I'm not going to go too much into Endgame yet. I'm not going to give you a spoiler-free review. I'm not going to give you a spoiler-filled review. You know what? I'm just not even going to give you a review yet. I'm going to give the movie a bit to kind of gestate here, get out here, so everyone gets a chance. And we're going to circle back. And I will give you my thoughts, my in-depth thoughts about Endgame with that. But, you know, get out there, go see it, have fun. And everyone keeps talking about bathroom breaks. You know what? I easily held it for three-plus hours, and I was drinking soda and eating popcorn, no problem. So I'm sure you can, too. So let's jump into the rest of the news hot off the D-Wire. And how about two Walt Disney World fans riding all 46 attractions in one day? and without using fast passes. Yes, this last week, two Walt Disney World enthusiasts completed the Parkology Challenge, an endurance test to ride all 46 attractions at the four parks in one day. Now, it's not impossible to do, just unlikely to really make it happen. Only this time, there was a twist. They decided not to use fast passes. That's right, for Shane Lindsay and Christina Hawkins, it was the latest way to push themselves to test their knowledge of the parks figure out those ways to navigate through the parks and it was a mental puzzle one that was fleeting to try before star wars galaxy edge opened and of course the massive summer crowds are going to fill the parks no matter what now as hawkins had stated of claremont she said 
I'm not sure either of us thought it was completely possible. Another 18-hour day weaved them across Disney property, visiting Magic Kingdom three times to knock out different rides that closed early, rope-dropping Hollywood Studios to be among the first to ride Toy Story Land roller coasters, and making stops at Epcot Animal Animal Kingdom throughout the way. Now, this challenge has grown in popularity over the years for everybody to try to get this done. Now, the typically, a challenger spends much of the day scrolling through their phone, hoping, hoping that the theme park gods are going to be in their favor, and hopefully fast passes are going to help when the ride pops up. But this normally doesn't happen. Instead, Lindsay and Hawkins waited in lines in the parks that were moderately crowded. It seems like something really crazy to do, Lindsay said. In some ways, it felt not pure, but a little more old school. Without any Magic Band technology as a shortcut, the two friends devised a plan for which rides like the Magic Kingdom, Jungle Cruise would close early in a day, as well as Animal Kingdom, might be quieter in the evening. Now, the longest line, they said, was Flight of Passage, the thrill ride at Animal Kingdom, which took about an hour or so to get through. Now, most of the wait times went by quickly, they said. Now, on Thursday, after getting a few hours of sleep, Lindsay was ready for a nap, and Hawkins drank a sports drink to help get the tired legs back to recover. They said that they hustled their butts off, but you know what? It was done. Now, do you have that challenge in you? I don't know if I do. Now, moving along here, let's get into a lot of things. You know, Earth Day was coming up this last week. Lots of fun things. The Penguins movie came out. Of course, Disney's Nature's latest series in the uh, Disney Nature franchise. I love the Disney Nature movies. But how about Natalie Portman? Yes, Padme Amidala, Queen Amidala. Yes, all of that fun stuff there to narrate Disney's Dolphin Reef movie. Now, the feature from the studio's newly branded Disney Nature label will debut on Disney+, Plus, the upcoming direct-to-consumer streaming service from Disney that we've talked about on here on the show many different times. Now, Natalie Portman is going to narrate the Disney feature film Dolphin Reef, and it's going to release on Disney+, Plus, and it was created by Disney Nature, the Disney-branded Nature series that we all know over the last couple of years, great films from them. Now, the pick is going to center on Echo, a young Pacific bottlenose dolphin who can't quite decide if it's time to grow up and take on new responsibilities. That is, until he can't resist the many adventures that the ocean has to offer. Now, Disney Nature takes audiences on great remote places, great spectacular views. Like I said, they are breathtaking and fun. Now, Dolphin Reef will join the lineup on Disney+, Plus, which is set to launch November 12th as a family-friendly service with a great library so far, including great Disney classics like 101 Dalmatians, Bambi, Fantasia, Mary Poppins, Sword in the Stone, many others. And in addition, it's going to have over 7,500 TV episodes and 500 movies, and including many things that are going to be just for the service, including The Mandalorian from Lucasfilm, many new things like the Monsters, Inc. TV series from Pixar, including the live-action remake of Lady and the Tramp, among others. And Natalie Portman is going to join that Disney Plus family with the Disney Nature's Dolphin Reef. Now, maybe you want to get away from that, you just need a drink. Too much talking, too many streaming service options, or maybe you just conquered all those attractions like the previous uh, news article I was just talking about. But how about Disney World is opening up a Beauty and the Beast-themed bar this fall? Yes, you can get your drink on in a true fashion. If you're a true D-head, all this talk about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is probably just having your eyes roll, of course, because you're like, Star Wars, not true Disney property. Well, maybe you don't love Star Wars, but who doesn't love Disney if you're at the Disney parks? Yes, and now it is going to happen because Walt Disney World in Florida is prepping to open up an all-new Beauty and the Beast-themed lounge and bar at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. Now, of course, that, of course, is one of my favorite resorts 
on the Disney grounds. But you read that right. Yes, not as seedy as the Star Wars bar, or maybe something that's a Thor or Iron Man, but yes, it is going to be a motif of the beast. Magical Rose is going to appear throughout the bar's main room. And of course, it's going to have a lot of great things. It's going to be a hot spot for live jazz music, high-end cocktails, and it's going to be on the second floor of the Grand Floridian Resort at the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, according to the park, renovations are expected to be completed by fall of this year. So if you've ever wanted to experience, you know, drinking and having fun with the castle in the distance, singing candles, of course, like, uh, you know, hanging out with everyone from Beauty and the Beast or just maybe get a, a glimpse of Gaston, this might be your chance to do it because it's going to be heading to the Grand Floridian Resort this fall. Speaking of new things coming to Disney and the Disney parks, how about Disney World is delaying Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway Ride until 2020? Now, we all know that this attraction is replacing one of my absolute favorites, Yes, the great movie ride, but the transformation of Disney Hollywood Studios hinges greatly upon Star Wars and Galaxy's Edge. And of course, the upcoming Mickey and Minnie's Run Runaway Railway is a dark ride, and there's different shifts and things that are going to be coming. But after weeks of speculation, Disney has confirmed late last week that the new flagship Mickey Mouse Dark Ride has been delayed indefinitely. Now, the confirmation was found tucked at the bottom of a Disney Parks blog post, announcing that the high-end tech projection mapping-based ride will be replicated in Disneyland come 2022. Now, this delay from fall 2019 to spring 2020 comes just weeks after Disney announced that the Rise of the Resistance attraction at Disney's Star Wars Galaxy's Edge will be opening at a later date as well. And the Star Wars Land itself is opening in June and August at Disneyland and Hollywood Studios in the fall. Now, both now-delayed rides are featuring groundbreaking technology, unique systems of hyperreal screens, and trackless vehicle systems. So there's a lot of quirks that need to be worked out with this, so you can't knock them for getting it pushed back. And of course, they're trying to get all those things ready for that 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. Now, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will be the most extensive use of projection mapping technology that Disney has done so far and refined over the past decade. Now, it's going to be harnessing this technology and the new Mickey Mouse attraction will take guests into the middle of the cartoon. So it is delayed indefinitely until spring of 2020. Now, moving to the small screen, not talking about large projections, but let's get to the small screen and Andy Mack. Yes, the Disney Channel show that many people love is coming to end on season three. There will be no fourth season of Disney Channel's Andy Mack, the hit tween sitcom that has been hailed for inspiring social change and making history with the first Disney Channel character to come out and openly admit that they were gay. Now, the final episode will begin start beginning airing on Friday, June 21st, continuing on with the following weeks until they finally end the entire run of the series. Now, the Season 3 finale will serve as the series finale on Friday, July 26th, and two episodes will air on Friday, June 26th to kick off the final episode runs starting at 8 p.m. on the Disney Channel and the Disney Now app. Now, as I said, this is just one of those things. The show has run its course, and Andy Mack is Disney Channel's most watched series overall with its highest ratings among kids ages 6 to 14, and it's received a Television Academy Honor, a GLAAD Media Award, and a U.S. Asia Institute Honor, and many others. So it is definitely a highly praised Disney show. You're wondering why is it getting ended after three seasons? Let's just say most Disney Channel shows end after three seasons sometimes the rare time they'll have a fourth. It just does end no matter what. Now, moving along here, maybe you just can't get to Disney. You're like, I just can't get to Disney. I haven't had a chance. I haven't saved my money. 
How about a company offering fake a vacation with doctored photos? Yes, you heard me right. You can fake a vacation. A Nebraska-based business is offering to bolster social media pages with expertly faked photos of the user on vacations that they never took. Now, the company, called Fake a Vacation, offers packages starting at just $19.99 for a service to superimpose the photos of social media users in front of famous landmarks, popular vacation spots including Las Vegas, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, and the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, the package also includes some facts about each of the destinations to help the customer concoct the story of their fake vacation. So now you'll have the details that you can go ahead as well and fill in those blanks in case you never truly got there. Now, the company cited a study that suggests more than a half of millennials have lied about taking vacations for regions for reasons ranging from last-minute cancellations, high prices of travel, and their desire for social media recognition. So what a way to enable that, but encourage the lying even more. So now if you do want to lie about it, yes, you can now fake a vacation as well. Now, getting to a galaxy far, far away instead of faking a vacation... Let's talk about Star Wars and, of course, Galaxy's Edge and the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Now, the Rise of Skywalker trailer has now been viewed over 111 million times in the first 24 hours it came out. A great little tidbit here because not only is Endgame breaking box office records with a $1.2 billion opening weekend for Avengers Endgame, Disney also reached 111 million views in the first 24 hours for the rise of Skywalker. So I am excited for that film as well. Seriously, a lot of great things going on with the Disney company, Star Wars, and so much more. So with that said, all VD heads, I'm going to pull back on news here. A lot of great things going on within the Disney company. We have some fun stuff coming up. We have Michael Lasky from Power Rangers, Power Rangers Zeo, Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, a martial artist, and so much more. We have more coming from the D-Team. As you have the questions, he has the answers. Aaron's going to answer all those questions and I want to know. We have Dominic with all the tips and tricks for your Walt Disney World vacation in the short leash. And let's not forget Jeremy with a look at this week in Disney history. We have lots of fun things coming on down the road here, including Carl Barks, Donald Duck, great Disney comics with none other than Anthony Snyder live from the show floor. So get ready, all of you D-heads. So before I release the reins here to the D-team and press on here with the show, I do want to mention that Diz Radio is probably sponsored by Castles and Dreams Travel. And Castles and Dreams Travel is a 100% free agency. They're going to hold your hand, walk you through the process, and treat you like family. They're going to make sure that everything from dining reservations, character interactions, you name it, they are going to make it the most magical vacation you could possibly have. They have bilingual experts, they're award-winning, and so much more. Definitely check them out. Castles and Dreams Travel, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. So, all VD heads, with that said, it is time to press on, continue on with show number 220. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Race cars, lasers,
Envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that. I'm here in Donald Duck's room, sitting in Donald Duck's chair, and the room looks very much like the room I always drew in the comic books. Back of me is Daisy's picture. Daisy is my girlfriend, and I have to have that picture on the wall. And over here, through the window, you can see Uncle Scrooge's money bin, a familiar sight in Duckburg, as you all know if you've read Donald Duck comic books. Donald is a guy with what they call a short fuse. He gets irritated very quickly. And if he doesn't get irritated, he finds a reason to get irritated. He enjoys being a pestiferous, noisy nuisance. Uncle Scrooge started out as a stingy old millionaire, a guy who was the honoriest old miser you could ever imagine. He would never spend any money, and he would never uh, let anybody off the hook if they owed him any money. And uh, gradually, as I used him more and more, I had to put him in situations where he was endangered and uh, began to show other forms of thought besides just thinking of money. All right, all of you Disney fans, we're still here at C2E2 with none other than Anthony Snyder here with us. Was told to come on over and talk with this guy about Disney, I guess, with that, getting into Disney right away. Comic books, comic book convention. What's your connection and love to Disney? Well, when I was a kid, I thought the Carl Barks duck stories were the best thing in comics. I remember when I sold my original collection out of Marvel and DC Silver Age, I wanted to keep those duck books. I had a long box full of all Carl Barks stuff. I think he's the best storyteller and artist of all time in comics. So that, in itself, uh, has th those stories have stayed with me. I'm like, I'm not a horror guy. You know, I, I went from heroes to Disney. Well, you know, and with that, too, going from heroes to Disney, it's entirely different kind of style, especially because of the animation, the cartoony style. Like you said, Carl Barks, I mean, his artwork can't be matched. I guess with that and looking into these, is there any one series or one issue that was your absolute favorite, that was the striking one, that is your, you're, you're going to go to your grave knowing that yeah. this is my favorite? The one comic book I still have from my original childhood collection, which was 
FF one up, Spidey one up, X Men one up, Daredevil one up, JLA one up, all of that was Christmas on Bear Mountain, the first appearance of Uncle Scrooge, like Four Color 178. And that's the one comic I still have. Well, you know, and with these two and going through all these and, you know, having it be, you know, one that you really do love, do you, what do you think of the revival of all the, you know, going back and bringing DuckTales back even to television and, you know, new comics arising now with, you know, Disney again? It's almost like this rebirth once again. Well, that's, that's cool, but, I mean, the DuckTales and stuff like that is kind of, I, I wish there was a, 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 a more stricter and... Uh, literal adaptation of Karl Barks' stories out there in cartoon form. And there's not. And I don't know why. Because they're the best stories ever. They were definitely a lot more involved than, I guess, the simple slapstick humor that they had during the 80s cartoon. They were way better. Now, I guess, you know, looking at the artists above just Karl Barks, is there any uh, other Disney comics out there that you do love that aside from just, you know, DuckTales or anything like that? Or is it strictly you love DuckTales, you love Karl Barks? No, uh, strictly uh, Donald Duck, Uncle Scrooge, uh, Barks stories. That's, that's it. That's the stuff that really struck me as a kid and stuck with me. Even with all the art and the superhero art and the whole Kirby stories I've had and millions and millions and millions of dollars of art that I've gone through, I still don't have that great quintessential Carl Barks piece that I'd love to have. That's a, that's a big hole in my collection. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, everybody has that one thing that they want to add to their collection. Now, of course, you do have an expansive collection, so what is your most valuable piece in your collection so far? Well, right now I have the uh, Kirby Splash to X-Men 4 that I value at $200,000. So that's my most expensive piece. Well, you know, for all of our fans out there, we don't want to keep you too long. For uh, anyone out there that wants to experience comics, and of course, classic Disney comics, is there anything you want to leave out there for somebody who's just uh, either learning about just the classic Disney comics or looking to the future? I would say go to the, you know, the the Carl Barks uh, Library. Uh, those uh, hardcover subcase sets. Those, that's that's the best stuff. Definitely. Well, you know, Anthony, it was our pleasure having you stop in. You know, C2E2 wrapping up here, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be seeing, uh, you know, more DuckTales, more comics, and maybe that Carl Barks versions of DuckTales will make it to the screen. You never know. Well, thanks, and check out my website at anthonyscomicbookart.com. Thank you very much. His story began as a typical Hollywood tale. With little more than $40 and a dream, Walt Disney's future awaited. It wasn't long before Walt's innovative imagination began enchanting the world. Through the animated characters and films he inspired, Walt Disney showed us that dreams really do come true. Today, the resident stars of Disney MGM Studios celebrate 100 years of magic. We invite you to share a dream come true as motion picture history is once again made right here at Disney MGM Studios.
Hi, this is Bill Farmer, the voice behind the characters Goofy, Pluto, and many of your other Disney favorites. And you're listening to Disney On Demand. Hi, my name's Jeremy, also known as the Spider-Pan of the Neverland podcast to Disney and beyond. And this is Great Moments in History, but only the Disney parts. As you probably know, Walt Disney had a failed business in my hometown of Kansas City, Missouri, called Laughagram. What you might not know is what happened to some of the artists that worked at Laughagram after Laughagram went under. I'm going to talk about one of these artists for the next few weeks until I've gone through all of them. The first one is Hugh Harmon, born August 31st, 1903 in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. When Laughagram failed, he tried to start his own studio with Carmen Maxwell and Rudolph Ising, but failed. Now, these are two other artists that also worked at Laughagram. So he eventually did return to work with Walt under Charles Mintz. Now, Mintz kept him on after sending Walt home without Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. He continued to produce Oswald cartoons with Rudolph Ising, which they developed their particular style that they would actually later carry on over at Warner Brothers. One year later, though, he was forced out and replaced by Walter Lance. Walter Lance, of course, later would create Woody Woodpecker. So with Rudolph Ising and a few other Disney animators, uh, with producer Leon Schlesinger, he created a pilot for Bosco the Talking Kid. This actually became like the first Looney Tune cartoon later, but uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. He was at this time under contract with Warner Brothers, and uh, he learned from Walt's mistake apparently, and made sure that Bosco was not owned by Warner Brothers. He owned Bosco, and he took Bosco with him over to MGM in 1934. So in 1939, while working for MGM, he got nominated for an Oscar for an anti-war short called Peace on Earth, which featured two squirrels and gave a commentary on the evils of humanity. In 1940, he produced a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and it was the first Hanna-Barbera cartoon called Puss Gets the Boot. And this is the cartoon that introduced the world to Tom and Jerry. In 1941, Hugh Harmon left MGM and joined with Disney veteran Mel Shaw to form their own studio in Ub Iwerks' old studio, creating a military training cartoon. Uh, actually created several of those. We'll talk a little bit more about Ub Iwerks' old studio that he had in his name and how that came to be and what happened with some of the other people that Hugh Harmon had worked with in later episodes of Disney History here on Diz Radio. But that's all I've got about Hugh Harmon for now. And that's your Disney history for this week. As a reminder, my name is Jeremy, but you can call me the Spider-Pan, and I can be found over at NeverlandPodcast.com, where I host my own podcast every week, where we talk about Marvel, Star Wars, Disney, just about anything, and even sometimes go beyond to Disney. We frequently say, to Disney and beyond. We also say to keep your pixie in your pocket, but to find out more about that, you'll just have to check out the show. I can also receive email from you at spiderpan at disradio.com, so feel free to let me know of something important that you think I should talk about in Disney history. Does she know that you really, really, truly love her? 
How does she know that you love her? How do you show her you love her? How does she know that you really, really, truly love her? It's not enough to take the one you love for granted. You must remind her, or she'll be inclined to say, How do I know? Questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. Hope everyone had a great Easter. We are deep into baseball here at the Carpenter House, and for the first time this year, I'm coaching my son's baseball team. It's been an adventure, but one I wouldn't trade for anything. Well, you guys have been busy sending in questions and the virtual mailbag is full. So let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. 
Our first question is from Anthony Markle of Plano, Texas, and he writes, Aaron, I have thought on Disney DVDs and the old Disney Treasure Tens. I am finding it really hard to find Scarecrow. Did they make less of these? And how many Treasure Tens were released? You are awesome, a fellow D-head. Well, Walt Disney Treasures is a series of two-disc DVD collections of Disney cartoons, television episodes, and other material. They cover material from the studio's earliest days to its more recent work. There were nine waves, each containing two to four sets, for a total of 30 titles. All content is presented uncensored and uncut, with digitally restored pictures and remastered sound. The first wave was released on December 4, 2001, as a part of Walt Disney's 100th birthday. Each title has been packaged in a numbered tin case. The first two waves featured numbers stamped into each case, while subsequent waves contained certificates of authenticity marking their numbers. The first three waves are bound in a cardboard sleeve displaying the reproduced signatures of Leonard Maltin and Roy Disney. In 2003, a Costco exclusive box set called the Ultimate Disney Treasure Chest presented the first two waves of the series without the tin canisters. The DVD sets were the idea of film critic historian Leonard Maltin, who appears in each set to introduce the DVDs and to provide historical context to some of the more dated works. The first wave included Mickey Mouse in Living Color, Silly Symphonies, Disneyland USA, and Davy Crockett. Wave 2 had Mickey Mouse in Black and White, The Complete Goofy, and Behind the Scenes at the Walt Disney Studios. Wave 3 had Mickey Mouse in Living Color, Volume 2, The Chronological Donald, Volume 1, On the Front Lines, and Tomorrowland. Wave 4 included Mickey Mouse in Black and White, Volume 2, The Complete Pluto, Volume 1, and The Mickey Mouse Club. Wave 5 included The Chronological Donald, Volume 2, Disney Rarities, Celebrated Shorts, 1920-1960s. to the 1960s. The Adventures of Spin and Marty from Mickey Mouse Club and El Fuego Baca and the Swamp Fox Legendary Heroes. Wave 6 had More Silly Symphonies, The Complete Pluto Volume 2, The Hardy Boys, The Mystery of Applegate Treasure, and your host, Walt Disney. Wave 7 has the Chronological Donald Volume 3, The Adventures of Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and Disneyland Secrets, Stories, and Magic. Wave 8 had the Chronological Donald Volume 4, Dr. Sin, The Scarecrow of Romney Marsh, and Mickey Mouse Club Presents Annette. And finally, Wave 9 has Zorro the Complete First Season and Zorro the Complete Second Season. It's a great collection to own for some awesome content. However, they do come at a pretty steep asking price on Amazon and eBay. Well, our next question is from Kensington Pratt of Wyoming, and he writes, At Walt Disney World in Florida, I miss the old MGM Studios. I love the stage shows, street shows, and behind the scenes on how to make a movie. I think I remember an old movie with Bette Midler. For the life of me, I cannot recall what it was. 
Do you know it and where I can view it for the days of yore? Thank you, Diz Radio and Aaron. The Lottery is a 1989 short film starring Bette Midler and directed by Gary Marshall, which was shown at the then Disney MGM Studios line for the first version of the Studio Backlot Tour. Bette Midler stars as a music teacher giving a singing lesson to a student in her apartment. She suddenly wins the lottery but quickly loses the ticket when it's swept out her window by a gust of wind and subsequently chases the ticket all over New York City. The lottery was shot on February 3rd, 1989 at Disney MGM Studios on the New York City backlot and it took a crew of over 100 people to produce. It was the first film to be completely filmed at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. It was used to demonstrate general filmmaking, the use of exterior sets and soundstage sets, special effects, and stunts. The movie is available to watch on YouTube. Well, our final question this week is from Genevieve T. of North Carolina, and she writes, In the 80s, Disney had some good live-action movies, Aaron. My question for you is about one I vaguely remember. It was about a kid who goes against teams on a treasure hunt type of thing in L.A. Any thoughts what it was? I was like eight when it came out, so I can't really remember it at all. Well, I believe the film you're remembering is called Midnight Madness. Midnight Madness is a 1980 comedy film produced by Walt Disney Productions and starring David Naughton, Stephen First, and Maggie Roswell. The city of Los Angeles is the game board as five teams of college students attempt to win the Great All-Nighter, a dust-to-dawn competition dreamed up by an eccentric grad student. David Naughton and Stephen First are paired with grab-bag group of fellow students. Some cool trivia from this movie? This was Michael J. Fox's first motion picture, and he's credited as Michael Fox. It's available on DVD and is readily available on most streaming services, including Amazon. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless. Imagination has no age. And dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. The film is now the movie. Five diametrically opposed teams of college students are challenged to compete in a grueling all-night game. Midnight Madness. If Leviathan and his animals decide to play, I want to be there and beat them. Midnight Madness. It's about winning and losing. The game that demands sophisticated strategies. Four flat tires. Harold, you beached whale. Are we losing our temper? <laughs> it's beautiful. Midnight Madness. It's about... It's about girls.
David Norton, Stephen First, Eddie Deason, Deborah Klinger. I thought you'd never ask. Dirk Blocker. I think I'm be sick. See them match wits in a game that could only be played at night. Experience Midnight Madness for the most fun you can legally have in the dark. southern coast of England, there's a legend people tell of days long ago when the great scarecrow would ride from the jaws of hell and laugh <laughs> with a fiendish shell. With his clothes all torn and tattered, through the black of night he'd ride. From the marsh to the coast like a demon ghost, he'd rob the rich, then hide, and he'd laugh <laughs> till he stood his side. Soldiers of the king feared his name. Scarecrow, scarecrow, the country folk all loved him just the same. Scarecrow, he would always help the farmer when there was no gold to bring. He'd find a way for the poor to pay the taxes of the king. Scarecrow. Every man would sing So the king told all his soldiers Hang him high or hang him low But never return till the day I learn He's gone in flames below Or you'll hang With the great scarecrow 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 The soldiers of the king fear his name Scarecrow the same. Scarecrow, Scarecrow, Scarecrow. Hi, I'm Emma Ridley from Return to Oz. I played Ozma in the Disney sequel to The Wizard of Oz. And thank you for listening to Disney On Demand. Hello everyone, this is Dominic and welcome to another edition of Disney Short Leash. If you're new to this segment, a short leash is a series of tips for people to get the most out of their Walt Disney World vacation when they're short on time or short on money. With any luck, you may be able to try some of these suggestions and quite possibly do as much, if not more than someone vacationing with a greater amount of time or a larger budget. On my own WDW Plantoons podcast, my wife and I went through every hotel we have stayed at for the last 20 years. It's our 20th anniversary and we're planning another trip for the summer, and we decided just to go through all the hotels we stayed at and rank them. And that was pretty in-depth and it lasted a half an hour, so I decided to take what we had done there and shrink it down to something a little bit more manageable to share on Diz Radio. 
We're going to go in chronological order as some of these places may have improved or gotten worse over time. So I'll put them in their proper historical context when we visited, how much it would cost to stay there now, and our impressions. And maybe if you're thinking about staying at any of these places or wondering where you should stay, this might help you out. We'll go over the hotel itself, the price, the location, the amenities, the value, and if I'd stay there again. We're going back to 1999. We split our honeymoon hotels into two different places. We stayed at the Coronado Springs first. If I was going to stay at the Coronado Springs for our summer trip, it would cost me 260 bucks. The location was nice. It's on property. However, their bus transportation made several stops throughout the campus. So you'd get onto a bus and then it would pull up to another stop still at the same hotel, then pull up to another stop still at the same hotel. So it took a while just to get underway. I have definitely stayed off property and gotten to my destination a lot faster by driving. Today you would get all the perks of staying on property with early reservations and extra magic hours. The restaurants slash cafeterias were all above average quality. And the room is a room. It's a nice room. It's equivalent to like a holiday inn. Would I stay there again? Probably not, but on a scale of 1 to 5, I'd give it a solid 3. Also, in 1999, we stayed at the Grand Floridian, finishing out our honeymoon there. If I was going to book for our trip this summer, it cost me $605. This is all per night, by the way. The location, you can't beat it. You got the monorail, you got buses everywhere. It's beautiful. Amenities, my wife got the best spa treatment of her life there, best haircut ever too. She loved the pool, she says she goes there and exhales stress. The food is wonderful, the entertainment in the lobby is fantastic. Decorations for Christmas and Easter are worth the trip just to see them. It's high price but also high value. You could spend a lot less money and not feel like you're getting a lot out of it. This one you're spending a lot of money and you're kind of seeing every penny you're paying for. Would I stay there again? Absolutely. High 4.8 out of 5. To this day, we still go back to visit the Grand Floridian, even if we don't stay there, and we always use their help desk because we find it the best in the park. Fast forward to 2004, and we now have children, so it was off to the Value Resort. We stayed at All-Star Movies. Today, it would cost me $153 to stay if we're going in the summer. It is close, so the location's okay, but there's stop after stop after stop. The bus keeps on stopping at everybody else's hotels. Before they drop you off, the bus is always packed. Nothing like waiting for 20 minutes for a bus that when it gets there is full. At a cafeteria-style eatery, there is nothing coming to the room, as opposed to the Grand Floridian where we had one of the nicest dinners of our lives delivered straight to us. Uh, at the time we went there in 2004, the bathroom did not have a coffee maker or a hair dryer. Barely any amenities at all. The value, besides the extra magic hours and the booking early, is, pr is pretty low. It's just a way to stay on property for the least amount of money possible. But be ready for a motel quality experience for the price of a suite off property. In 2006, we stayed at All Star Music and things had improved a bit. There was now a coffee maker in the room and a hairdryer. But beyond that, we're going to have to give the All Stars a hard 2 out of 5. And we probably would never stay there again. From 2008 to 2014, on several trips, we stayed at the Spring Hill Suites of the Marriott Village. This is where our love for staying off property started. If I was going in the summer, it would cost me $135 a night, which is the cheapest hotel we've reviewed so far. I'm under Disney's value resort price, but I have a room bigger than the one I had at the Coronado, which is their moderate resort. Their killer feature is a large, beautiful free breakfast every morning. They do have a bus that will shuttle you to the Magic Kingdom and elsewhere, but their hours are terrible, so just drive. It's about 15 minutes from your room to the gate. 
If there's a downside, a lot of groups use it, so you might be sharing the hotel with like a cheerleading group or a band group. But since I'm going in the summer, I rarely run into them. I would definitely go again. The only thing preventing us now is our kids are just too darn big. Easily a three and a half out of five. We did a huge family reunion trip in 2010, and you can definitely tell we weren't paying for it because it was at the boardwalk, which is running $450 a night if I took a trip this summer. It is unbelievably close to Epcot. You can walk right there from the boardwalk. It's a boat or another slightly longer walk over to Hollywood Studios. The room is Grand Floridian caliber. It was wonderful, fluffy, very relaxing, beautiful view. We actually did an in-room celebration for my son's second birthday. Extremely high value. You get Grand Floridian quality, but it's also $150 to $200 cheaper to stay at the boardwalk. Uh, it just might be the best hidden deal as far as deluxe resorts go. Would I stay there again? Absolutely. In 2014, we drove down, but I was jet lagged from a trip from Europe, so while I was driving all night, it actually felt like the morning, and I ended up in Florida a day early, so we needed a place to stay. We stayed at a Super 8 for $68. As far as location goes, it was, in fact, in Florida. Beyond that, uh, it's, it was there. Uh, no amenities. It had a waffle iron for its free breakfast. Uh, do not stay at this place for any vacation. It was a nice place to crash for, and wasn't even a nice place to crash for a night. Do not go to a Super 8 on your Disney vacation. On a scale of 1 to 5, it is a 0. Should have just probably checked in the Spring Hill a day early. Same trip, we did spend a day at a Disney resort, which actually had a nice side effect of being able to make fast passes for the entire vacation, even though we were only staying on property for one day. It would cost me 250 bucks if I was going to be doing this trip now. Uh, the location was okay. Again, the bus had to go multiple stops around the campus, kind of like they did over at Coronado. This is one of those faster to drive than wait for the bus places. Good restaurants and entertainment. Beautiful campus. You could probably make a vacation just out of that resort. My wife liked the pool and the pool bar. The rooms are kind of motel-y with an outside entrance, and they were tight for five people at this point. This is the place that comes up most often when I try to book for a five-person family. However, five people in this room is kind of like two double beds and a Murphy bed. It is close quarters. Now, value's okay. You get the advantages of staying on a Disney park. It's $100 more so than the value resorts, and I do see $100 more in what I'm getting. But this is one of those deals where I can spend even less than a value off property and get even more than this place. I'm saying it's a Coronado level 3 out of 5. Even that being said, I probably would not go and stay there again. We're ending with the 2016 runaway trip that we took over New Year's. And we stayed at the Ramada Kissimmee Gateway because it's 68 bucks. That's about the best thing to say about it. It was 68 bucks. It was a quick 15 minutes away from the gate, so the location was okay. The amenities you paid for. There was a free breakfast advertised, but we found out when we got there, you actually have to pay more for the room to get it. So I don't exactly know what's free about that. This place was only perfect because of the way we were vacationing. We got up early and we closed the park very late and the only reason we were in the room was to go to sleep. If you're looking for anything else in your hotel, look elsewhere. This is one of those deals where you paid $600 for the Grand Floridian and know exactly what you paid for, but you stay at a Ramada for 68 bucks and wonder why you paid it at all. Alright, let's wrap this up. Let's put these in order. We're going to go 20 years of Disney vacation hotels. And in dead last, we got the Super 8, not so far behind it, the Ramada Kissimmee Gateway, followed by All-Star Movies, then All-Star Music, Port Orleans Riverside, 
Spring Hill sweeps the Marriott Village and the Coronado Springs almost tied. Coronado getting the edge because you get some extra perks for staying on Disney property. And the top two almost tied as well because the boardwalk got you so close to Grand Floridian quality at a much lower price. But the Grand Floridian just being such a palace of luxury and so close to the monorail, I got to give it the edge. Grand Floridian number one. So here we've had some roadside motels for 68 bucks all the way up to deluxe luxury at $600 or more a night. Somewhere in there hopefully is the right hotel for you because finding the right place for your family to snooze while you're not riding attractions. Well, I don't know if that's short leash, but it's definitely an important part of your vacation. As always, I hope you enjoyed the tips. I do have an official Diz Radio email, so I'd love to hear from you with a hi, some questions, suggestions, or even your own short leash tips at dominic at disradio.com. That's D-O-M-E-N-I-C at disradio.com. I also can be found on the internet on Twitter at WDWPlanTunes and on YouTube or your favorite podcast apps where you can hear my wife and I do a longer version of this hotel review by searching WDWPlanTunes or by visiting Plantoons.com. We now have an interactive Disney World park map with links to YouTube ride videos for every attraction on that site. So check it out. Well, folks, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening.
Collins with addressed envelope to Davis and Kirk. Right down that. This is Zordon calling the Power Rangers. Beware, Rita Repulsa and her evil henchmen are out to destroy all of you in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers Super Ness. Fight your way through seven incredible levels of non-stop action. To win, you'll have to morph into a Power Ranger and overcome obstacles. Swim through underground waterways, crawl through dark caverns, even do battle as the Mighty Megazord. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers video game for your Super Nintendo Entertainment System from Bandai. Lights, camera, action! It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest! Alright all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Diz Radio and the Diz Radio Show. And as we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, television, music, movies, you name it. Many times those are ones that just play into something you love. Much like myself being a martial artist and something that I teach my children as well, it comes all the way down to those early days. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Power Rangers Zeo, as well as Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. We have none other than Michael Olasky here, martial artist, actor, so much more. Welcome to Diz Radio. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, I myself, being a martial artist, I always love to talk with other martial artists and, of course, people that are connected to things that have been passed on to other people, people that have grown up watching these things. I guess, I guess, to start things off, the first thing I like to do is pull it back and what got you into the road of, I guess, martial arts and then falling into acting and being part of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, that very first season that is, uh, you know, just has that cult fan following. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be part of uh, so many people's challenges especially um, being a child myself going through it. Um, you know, getting into martial arts was uh, something that happened early for me, and uh, I get that question a lot, what, what got you into martial arts, and unfortunately I don't, I don't have an entertaining enough answer for that. Um, I was the <laughs> son of a Green Beret in the military, and I guess he wanted his boy to make, you know, make sure his boy learned how to fight. Um, so I don't, I don't even really have memories of the first time I did martial arts. It's just something that, that always has been, um, a part of my life. Um, I know I started off in kicking martial arts very early and then moved into Japanese jiu-jitsu, throwing martial arts, um, becoming a, uh, sort of a forms champion as well as a, um, Japanese jiu-jitsu throwing champion at the age of uh of eight and uh in the early 90s when you're that good at martial arts everybody pops into you and they basically that's your into movies they say when are you going to start doing action films because you know if you remember the 90s we were all about those action films jean-claude van damme um all of those films so uh so we started auditioning and uh, i ended up booking that first gig with with power rangers and uh you know being i think i was 11 years old when i was on power rangers so i was I was right at the market that they were aiming at, and I was a kid on that show. Imagine being 11, 11 years old in the set of the command center looking up at Zordon trying not to press any buttons. It took a lot of self-restraint. <laughs> I can only imagine, especially because, you know, it's that, that wonder and awe, and you're on this, you know, live action, you know, show for kids that, you know, a lot of those just lack luster nowadays. So I guess being part of that and, you know, being young Rocky on the show, you know, you, you're going to have to kick your way, prove your, you know, prove you're a martial artist on the show and that, I guess. What was it like being that age, going back, turning on the TV and watching yourself as part of the Power Rangers? It was uh, awe-inspiring. Like I said, it's, it's an honor. Um, as, a, as a kid, uh, some, of my, some of my biggest idols were martial artists that I was introduced to through the medium of television and movies. Um, Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, Sammo Hung. 
Um, uh, and, uh, names now uh, in today's days are, are kind of uh, common nomenclature. Uh, they're household names, but back in the early 90s, this was kind of like a budgeting or, or a, uh, an exclusive kind of new style of uh, of martial arts. And uh, and being able to do martial arts, something that I was that I loved and was passionate about, um, on something that I also you know loved and was passionate about. Who didn't like Power Rangers back in the early nineties? Um, it was it was quite a surreal experience. Well, I, and with that too, I guess being on set, how hard was it to you know get in there, say your lines? I mean, you're a young kid. What you know? I guess were there any moments that were harder than others? And was was the entire cast and crew were they just all welcoming and everything? Well, the fun thing about um, well, the interesting thing about Power Rangers at that time um, was that it was a bit more uh, difficult of a set than um, than it would be, let's say today. And the reason why is because it was a it was kind of like a new thing at that time, and they're kind of finding their finding their sea legs, if you will. And then you mix that with um, it being a non union production, and they they really wanted to make sure that they were uh, cutting corners as much as possible as far as spending money. Um, with that being said, the that's all something that I am told in retrospect, right? Being an 11 year old on my first big project, um, I, I really had nothing to uh, to compare it to. So for me, I mean, that's just how the industry worked because it was my first time in the experience. You know, now looking back, I was like, wow, uh, that that was a really rough set to be on. Um, you know, they were. Uh, I remember being on on the set uh, where we were walking up to the command center and a dust storm hits us and they're literally just taking buckets of sand and pouring them into giant industrial fans and shooting them directly at us, right? We had no stunt doubles, no eye protection, <laughs> no nothing like that. But, you know, that's that's non-union in the early 90s. And uh, I, was, I was told uh, um, as like a good martial artist to kind of stick through it and stay safe and um, pretty much yes sirs and no sirs and do what you're told. So I I, I think that I, I came out on top of that where, you know, some, some others didn't, and that's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, I was one of the lucky ones, I guess. <laughs> well, we, we, with that too, like you said, being, you know, being part of the set and being part of this too, I guess, you know, when you went back to your normal life and that, did everyone recognize you right away and, you know, friends and, and you know, family and beyond that, were you getting more recognition now and you're just like, all right. All right. Yeah. I'm on the Power Rangers. I, I, I've done this. Um, yeah. So it's funny because obviously we know just through uh, experience on YouTube and, and reading up on these things, uh, before the internet, you don't kind of know what to expect with the movie industry. And we are talking about pre-internet days. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, common knowledge nowadays how, how long, um, these actual films, these television shows take to get up and running, right? I mean, Look at Game of Thrones, for example. You know, had to take a year and a half hiatus to make sure that they just uh, they were able to produce six episodes that are to our liking, um, and we're now in the middle of experiencing that. And it's similar in in something like the Power Rangers. You know, when I auditioned for Young Rocky, um, I, there wasn't even an actual character named Rocky on the television show yet, so I wasn't even sure who I was really auditioning for. Um, so by the time I had filmed everything and it actually premiered and came out on television, I mean, we're talking about months, months, maybe even a year or so before everything was ready to go. Um, I think kind of the, um, the surreal aspect of things is that, you know, I kind of filmed it when I was elementary school level um, and it came out when I was in middle school. 
And uh, you know how harsh kids in middle school can be. We're all looking to find our grounds and a leg up on each other. So I think the kids in middle school were, la- were, were a, a little uh, less than amazed and, and more apt to, uh, to, to, to razz me and kind of give me jokes about having been on Power Rangers. You know, and that's all out of the, the – I, w- I would say that that's all because they were jealous. In the end, deep down, it's jealousy. Oh, and I, I completely agree. As, a, as an adult looking back, um, that's kind of how kids uh, deal with with jealousy um, and, and deal with their emotions. It's not something that I necessarily hated. I mean, I don't, I don't take it I don't take it bad nowadays at all. Um, the funny thing about my childhood is that I was working so much and auditioning so much as an actor that though I was enrolled in school, you, you often didn't see me in school much. Uh, I was uh, privately schooled on set a lot of the times when I was booking jobs. So I think that kind of exasperates things more as I'm, I'm sort of just a kid that kind of pops in and out of school between stretches of jobs, and uh, you know maybe maybe that's added to the jealousy that I didn't have to go to school in a similar way that everybody else did. <laughs> Now, I guess, uh, you know, after being on Power Rangers, of course, you know, uh, there was, you know, a, a chance, you know, just, I guess, moving on down the line, they had you in Power Rangers Zeo, things like that. Now, over the years, have you ever had a chance to reconnect with any of the Rangers themselves or, you know, even uh, even the older Rocky and saying, hey, you know what, remember me? I, w- I was the little you. Yeah, so um, right now, I recently kind of, found out of this sort of burgeoning fan base of uh of of Power Ranger enthusiasts that I that I really didn't know existed. Um I was on, you know, I do a lot of stuff for social media. Um I own martial arts schools, uh, you know, and kids programs all around the um the nation and, and, and taught seminars everywhere. So being on the internet is sort of my livelihood and pulling in um new kids to my martial arts program. So I'm always performing on the internet with cool weapon stuff. Um, and it's through that inter- internet I sort of connected um, to this large fan base of, of Power Rangers enthusiasts, and they're actually um, Power Ranger-based Comic Cons uh, that are Power Rangers only with only the actors that I've had fortunate enough to get invited out to. I just did um, Power Morphicon Express in Pasadena, Texas. Um, last year I did Power Morphicon in um, in Los Angeles, kind of a traveling show as well. And then there's Ranger stuff that happens every year as well. And these are just a smorgasbord of Power Rangers actors from the last 25 years. Um, so to answer the question more succinctly, I've, I've very recently been able to reconnect with some of uh, some of those older Rangers, uh, hanging out with Jason David Frank, the original Green Ranger, then the White Ranger, and a slew of others, as well as the older version of me, uh, Steve Cardenas, who played who played Rocky. Um, and it's always fun because they see they they remember me as a kid, but we haven't talked in that intermediary. So now they see me as a 36 year old adult, and they're like, "Holy cow, you grown!" Um, and yeah, I guess that's what we do, right? <laughs> well, well, you know, and like you said, it was you were taken off guard, but you know, Power Rangers tends to be this thing with you know, like you said, it has a huge cult fan following, this big fan base, many of which people have grown up watching it. Other people, you know, caught it in different parts, different parts of their lives. You know, uh, myself, my son, my, you know, one of my sons, of course, you know, out of my gaggle of children, you know, he he's nine and he has binged watched every season of every Power Rangers and just is obsessed with it as well. So it's amazing, this fan following. Now, I guess with that, have you ever encountered any like over the top wild fans? You know, I don't. I've, I, the fan base, at least in my experience, um, has been uh, has been very respectful in that way. Um, I don't think we have a lot of um, a lot of crazy fans, but um, we do have emphatic ones. 
Um, when we go to these Comic Cons, it's always so much fun to have people cosplaying and some of like the more obscure characters on Power Rangers. Um, over at Ranger Stuff, we had a set of triplets who cosplayed um, as the uh, as the, those powers three that gave the Gold Ranger his scepter. Um, you know, we had a, a kid who cosplayed as, as Ernie, the Juice Bar guy, uh, and even one kid took the time to grow his hair out into the power mullet that I had in 1993 and uh, even cosplayed as, as my character, Young Rocky, from the Alien Ranger series. Um, so they, they could get pretty specific, and those are the kind of cosplays that I always adore more, you know. Um, no, no, offense to, no offense to Jason Frank, but everybody loves the Green Ranger, right? And, but then you get these, like, super fans that are sort of uh, cosplaying as the more obscure characters, which are really interesting and fun to see. Well, right, and those are always the costumes that are always fun to create. Now, I guess uh, with that said then, have you ever found yourself going back and watching other seasons just to familiarize yourself with other rangers you're going to encounter at these cons? You know, I, I did some, uh, I basically went back when I, when I was going, to, when I was going to my first one, I was like, alright, we gotta, we gotta kind of refresh this up a little bit because, um, I, I hadn't watched Power Rangers in, in quite some time personally. Um, <laughs> and, uh, there, there were a lot of stuff that I didn't even realize happened, especially when I meet a new actor, uh, who is just, uh, just a doll or, or, or a gem and I, I've, I've, get to know them personally, it, it kind of inspires me to go back and, and watch their episode and their performance. Uh, I'd met uh, Azim, who played one of the Black Rangers, and uh, and he was just so funny and so interesting. I was like, you know, I got to go back and watch this series and see his work. Definitely. Well, you know, I guess with that, too, you know, I, I guess we'll move on from Power Rangers here for a bit, of course, but everybody, you know, loves the Rangers, things like that. But I guess, you you know, you still took martial arts to that next level um, and playing Colt in Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain, of course, back in those that 90s era when, you know, family fun entertainment kind of movies, those Saturday afternoon movies were always a, a must see, a must watch, you know, things like that. What was it like being part of this and working with such people like, you know, Hulk Hogan and, and items like that? You know, uh, I, I am fortunate enough to have been in two iconic, uh, martial arts franchises in the nineties. And I always joke with people on cons that if I could have found a way to get in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I'd have had the Ninja Trifecta for the nineties. Um, unfortunately that didn't, that didn't happen for me, but being part of the Three Ninjas franchise was epic. And I remember I, I had auditioned for, um, I think it was Three Ninjas Kickback, uh, for the role of Tum Tum earlier, and I didn't get that one. And then the part kind of came back around, and I was a little older and was able to audition for my personal, personal favorite character, um, Colt. And, and working with, Huge names, uh, you know, obviously Hulk Hogan, um, even if you're not a WWF slash WWE wrestling fan, everybody knows who the Hulkster is. Um, but working with, in, in my opinion, uh, the highlight was Ernest, the, the actor who played Ernest P. Worrell, um, Jim Barney, who was, you know, not only a, a classic actor, great voiceover actor, but um, a prominent thespian, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, he was a big theater kid in, in, in a lot of his past work. So um, meeting him, I always say, if you, if you say you don't like Ernest, you either don't know who he is or you're lying. Um, so I got to work with him and, and of course, Victor Wong of, of Tremors and Big Trouble in Little China Phase, along with being um, being Grandpa Mori Tanaka from, from Three Ninjas. Just uh, a lot of people make the mistake and think that he's the karate kid guy, and, and he's not. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, there's there is no way he's Pat Morita. He has his own his own distinct style, and of course, like you said, films that he's been in that were always fantastic. And like you said, Jim Varney, Ernest, of course, Slinky Dog in uh, all the Toy Story films. Um, you know, fantastic, and Hulk Hogan. I mean, you know, he is the person that kind of defined wrestling in the '80s and '90s. Oh yeah, I mean, he's he's defined wrestling even today, right? I don't think there would be him and Andre the Giant. Pretty much that that storyline is what put is what put that sort of sport on the map. So definitely. Now, when filming this, I, you know, working with these actors that you said, you know, you you had a chance to meet these legendary people, and of course, like the late Jim Varney and things like that. Um, you know, what was it like working on that set? Because you know, you had other kids. It was a little more fun. Was it a little more family friendly? Kind of fun to just goof around, even offset. Yeah, I mean, having having a lot of people my my age on set uh, definitely helped out, and of course, people that you looked up to. Um, you know, not that I didn't look up to the Power Rangers, that was obviously it, but for my season in Power Rangers, most of those actors were kind of, um, since we were playing them, were on, were on hi- hi- hiatus at the time. I think my favorite aspect of, of being in Three Ninjas is a lot of the time and effort they put into, uh, put into the fight scenes. And like I was saying earlier, a lot of my work revolves around the fact that, uh, I had practiced and worked so hard at becoming a, um, a prominent martial artist. And they really took, especially in that particular, uh, that particular movie in the franchise, those fight scenes very seriously. So, I mean, beyond working with, uh, you know, famous, uh, co-stars, uh, one of my favorite things to do was to hang out with the stuntmen who were just super talented martial artists from all over the globe that had their own individual flair. So I would, I would go and work with the stuntmen, um, in, in martial arts behind the scenes, sort of sneak out of set school. And, uh, and, and work out with, uh, with some of the, the, the top-notch talent that they had working in stunts at the time. Very cool. Now, I guess when that came out, like you said, you were part of, you know, that franchise and, you know, those movies, everybody loved watching them. Uh, you know, is that another one of those where you, you kind of, do you ever look back at these films even now and it's almost like a photo album of this era and you're kind of like, that's me. It, it's, it, you're actually in motion doing something as opposed to just looking at pictures. You know, it's, it's like that. I, I, I Harken back to that analogy that if you you put a uh, you put a frog in a pot and you just turn on the flame it's going to jump out but if you kind of like heat it up slowly the frog doesn't quite understand um, the heat that he's going in and he won't try to escape um, it's kind of like the way I look back on my career it, it's just sort of par for the course for me it was uh, it was my life I didn't really quite understand how it was much different from anybody else's life and it was only. Um, until I would, I would leave that kind of culture and, and move into, um, some, some more traditional aspects of life, like business ownership and stuff like that, where it, where it became a big deal. Um, and I'm gonna be honest with you, from the ages of, you know, 11 to 25, uh, everybody I'd met, most of my contacts were in the movie industry, so it wasn't, it wasn't all that impressive, but now that you know, I'm a grown man, I, I teach uh, martial arts to kids, and I see that kind of effect that it has. It, it start, you start to see that, um, and you and you leverage it uh, for the use of good. You know, I, I definitely, um, I definitely leverage the fact that I was in Power Rangers and Three Ninjas to inspire kids and get them excited about martial arts and what it can do for them in their lives. Well, definitely, you know, and martial arts is something that can always be inspiring to people. I mean, it is. It's one of those where no matter what the style, no matter what you do, it's it's great to teach the discipline, discipline, self respect, integrity, um, of course, fitness. I guess with that, um, you know, do you just 
you know, when you're going into the school, you're teaching and you see these uh, young kids grow or even adults that think they're too old to do it and then they just get started. Do you have that, I guess, sense of accomplishment where you look back and you're like, you know, look at what they have become and how more, how better they feel about themselves? Oh, certainly. You know, one of the things that um, I could cry about today's martial arts environment, especially with the advent of MMA and competitive martial arts in particular, is that um, a lot of people can see martial arts as sort of a, a, a results-based process, right? Like if you're not consistently, let's say, tapping out people in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, or knocking out people in MMA, um, then you're not living up to your fullest potential. But we seem to have forgotten, and I love reminding people in today's uh, society that martial arts is about a journey, and a black belt isn't necessary doesn't necessarily mean that you can beat everybody in the world you get a black belt because it's you're a black belt in compare in comparison to who you were when you began so when people who are older and they say that they can't do it or, or kids might have some learning disabilities you know you might not be uh, a world-class forms champion martial artist but that's not the point right you're a black belt compared to who you were Definitely. Well, and that's the kind of thing, right? You have gone through all these steps and all these different levels and, you know, you've really just grown as yourself. Now, with that, you know, becoming an owner, you know, doing martial arts, things like that, uh, I guess with that, do you ever take that, like you said, you, you kind of do a lot of things online, social media, stuff like that too. So do you do any like online instruction as well for anybody looking for that kind of thing? Because maybe they just, they don't have a school near them and they're looking to learn. Well, absolutely. So um, we're getting started on my personal YouTube channel on um, on an online sort of virtual training program uh, where everybody can just log on. If you have access to the Internet, um, you'll be able to jump on and actually learn the – we're going to start with kickboxing, the kickboxing course um, that uh, that I actually lay out for – uh, my students, um, you know, it's not it's not as good as me being there and, and watching you every day and being able to critique you on your style, but it's certainly something. Um, so you can go to big Bang, or excuse me, YouTube.com/slash Michael Lasky, which is just my name, and then uh, you'll get a, right now you get a lot of online resources about like weapons and and we're going to be adding a kickboxing course that where if you even wanted to, you can you can rank under me virtually. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's that kind of thing where somebody's going to be able to grow and things like that. And, you know, that's just taking technology and social media and things to another level, too. So it's really just it's benefiting in that way. Now, because you're busy doing that, of course, you know, you, you're an acting, active martial artist, instructor, so much stuff. Do you ever go back into acting ever or anything current? You know, one of the things that um, I grew wary of in the in my acting career growing up, since I've been doing it for such a long uh, a long time and from such a young age, uh, was mainly the auditioning process. Um, you know, when I was a kid, that was my entire life going to audition to audition. Sometimes three or four auditions a day being jetted around um, by my father. On, on the streets of Hollywood. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it was something big like Three Ninjas or the Sensei um, or something small, just like, a, you know, a Jell-O Pudding Pop commercial or something. Um, so I sort of grew weary of that, that kind of um, auditioning process. And now what I really like to focus on is actually creating stuff that I'm passionate about. Um, so I'm still, I'm still very much working. I'm, I'm still very much doing things. But generally speaking, it's it's only going to be the things that, that I find interesting and that I would actually love to be able to act in versus, 
you know, what most actors have to do is kind of just take all comers and get whatever part that they like. Right. Now, with that said, then, are you part of anything currently that, you know, people will be able to see you in, too? Absolutely. So right now I have a movie called The Sensei that's streaming on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, uh, you have their online resource. Log on to that. You can find that under The Sensei. It stars myself, uh, Diana Lina Santo, who is, um, you know, of, of martial arts fame, Bruce Lee's goddaughter. Um, and as well as Keith David, who you might know from movies like Roadhouse, um, They Live, and uh, the voice of uh, Goliath in Gargoyles. Um, so it's, it's an awesome martial arts movie, um, and it has, it has a message uh, that I think is important in today's day and age as well. Uh, the Sensei won several uh, indie film festival awards. It's, it's an awesome film that I'm rather proud of. Uh, one of the more trying parts uh, for me as an actor, and, and uh, um, I'm happy to say that I, I'm, I'm proud of the result. Very cool. I guess, you know, in retrospect here, you know, so many different things you've been part of, things in the future, you know, currently, you know, online instruction coming our way from you as well. Uh, I guess for anybody listening in, people who have been Power Rangers fans, Three Ninjas fans, maybe students, future students of yours, if there's any words of wisdom that you'd like to put out there for all those people whose lives you've touched over the years, currently, in the future, what would that be? I think it's just about living passionately. You know, I hate to sound like a motivational speaker, um, but uh, you got to find what you love and just let it consume you. Um, I'm, I'm personally, I'm motivated by martial arts. It's something that I've that I've always loved, and it's something. It's my first love, and it's, it's probably going to be my last. Um, and if you, if you just find what you love and let it consume you, and, and take and not take no for an answer, I think you can live a pretty fulfilled life. Um, I think oftentimes people allow um, what they want to do to fall to the wayside and and do what others expect of them and you know what more power to you uh, but really what you what you need to do is make sure that you find what you love and, and let that be your life very cool well it was our pleasure having you stop in take this trip down memory lane into the future um, all that kind of fun stuff and I'm sure that we're going to be seeing you hopefully on the circuit the convention circuit uh, you know maybe even beyond the Power Ranger cons and whatnot but you know I know so many people's lives you've touched and um, even in the future and even the younger generation like I said my nine year old son when he knows I've talked with young Rocky he's going to He's going to flip out. So, you know, all those people's lives who you continue to touch. So thank you once again for stopping in, chatting with us, and, uh, you know, always keep us posted in the future uh, for everything else that you have coming your way. We'd love to have you back on. Absolutely. No problem at all. I mean, it was fun to talk to you guys. And, you know, if anybody has any questions about where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing next, you know, you can always follow me on social media. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on there. I kind of have to be. So uh, feel free to give me a follow on, on any one of the platforms. Fantastic. Thanks once again for stopping in, Michael.
August 29, 1993, Saban Entertainment delivers Mighty Morphin Power Rangers to the Fox Kids Network. The good guys are here! And they're making history by becoming the most successful kids show ever. This top-rated series currently airs in 142 markets, including all of the top 10, covering 92% of the country and reaching 5 million kids a day. Power Rangers, the number one series for kids 2 to 11 and kids 6 to 11. The numbers are more phenomenal. With spectacular ratings like these, it's no surprise that Power Rangers is a bona fide phenomenon sweeping the country, and the press concurs. Taking you on those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. See? Wow! It's Disney On Demand! Dibs. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. Okay, I'm convinced. And a little disgusted. <laughs> all right, all of you D-heads, so I am back. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was a fantastic romp once again, and of course, kicking it into the air, having that fun, and dropping down some reverse sidekicks. And I want to extend a very special thank you once again to Michael Olasky for stopping in, chatting with us here at the show. Such great things. Being involved with the Power Rangers, Three Ninjas, Martial Arts, and so much more. It definitely motivates me to want to go out there and kick a little bit more. Thank you, Michael, once again for stopping in. I'd also like to thank the D team of Aaron, Dominic, and Jeremy stopping in here this week with your signature segments. Without you, it would just be me rambling week in and week out. So thank you, and definitely connect up with the D-Team, they do want to hear from all of you D-Heads out there. And most of all, thank you, the D-Heads. Without you, there would be no show. There would be nothing going on here. There would be no Diz Radio. You are the reason we keep coming back at you for the last nine years with celebrity guests, all kinds of fun, and more. Reliving those magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, we do it for you, the D-Heads. So thank you, the D-Heads, for tuning in and making us truly what we are. Now, next week, we have somebody very special stopping in. Somebody I am excited to have here on the show. I am just really ecstatic about this one. But before I clue you in as to who's going to be stopping in, next week, I am going to tell you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete podcast archives, our latest news blogs, and more right there on our official website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Diz Radio Show. That's D-I-Z Radio S-H-O-W. You can also join our D-Wire Disney discussion group on Facebook as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and many other places. Just search Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U, Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney On Demand, all of which are going to help you find our fun, unique, different kind of Disney show. And remember, you can always subscribe to our show on Stitcher and iTunes. Just search Diz Radio, Disney Blue, or Disney On Demand. Hit subscribe and get the latest shows on your mobile device, your iPhone, your Android, you name it, right there, ready to listen to, ready to have that fun. So definitely find all these different ways and more on our official website at DizRadio.com. That easy, all the links there as well. Now, next week, I am excited for our very special guest. He is somebody you know sometimes can be a little hard on people, somebody that tends to play somebody who's a little bit more stone-faced, and let's just say strike first, strike hard, show no mercy, sir. I'm going to leave it at that and have you ponder how it's just connected to Disney. So until next week, all of you D-heads, have fun, go out, see Endgame, make those memories, make the magic happen, and remember... 
Take time, slow down, and never neglect family for business. You can always make money. You can't always make memories. So definitely go out there, make it happen, make the memories, and so much more. Until next week, all of you D-heads, have a fantastic weekend. And remember, no endgame spoilers. Tony Stark, Iron Man, Nick Fury has a plan. Big shot, pepper pots, arc reactor core. Asgard, itching war, Loki and his brother Thor. Bruce Banner, radiation transformation. Close and Maria Hill, they're the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Cliff Barton, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Russian spy. Captain Rogers, World War II. Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.